This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 39 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Welcome to the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week talking with you about sports psychology. Although we haven't really had a lot of sports psychology lately because we've been talking about life because there haven't been any sports to talk about. However, thankfully, that's going to start to change because we are at the point now in our country where we're starting to open up life again. We're able to start to get out of our houses, out of our apartments, out of our condos, out of our homes, and venture outside and start doing some things again. Slowly, carefully, well-planned, but we can start doing things. And sports is going to start to happen again. If you listen to the news, you're hearing all the major sports leagues are discussing how they can start getting something going on, whether it's a practice, practices or facilities opening up. So the professional leagues are starting up. Colleges are discussing, will there be sports this fall? That's going to be an interesting scenario to see what happens there. Schools are discussing whether they'll have school this fall or whether we'll still be in a lockdown. Of course, every state's going to be in a different scenario. And then, more than anything else, we've got youth sports all over the country starting to plan to practice again. You know, the last few weeks I've had several interesting guests on. Three weeks ago we had Doug Wiesner on, who is the youth sports medicine director at the University of Kansas Health Systems in Kansas City. He, I've known Doug since the 80s. He is a, an athletic trainer who now runs that program and, and we discussed sports injuries and what can happen if you start practicing too quickly and I already saw this morning before I came in and did the show there's a soccer team over in Europe that started up and they are full of injuries because they've, they've come back way too fast so you've got to do this the right way a couple weeks ago we had Janessa Collins on who's a gymnastics coach down in Athens, Georgia talking about programs to try to help save youth sports around the country. Because, let's face it, gym owners, coaches, facility owners are all losing money because they haven't had practices, they haven't had these kids in, they haven't been able to pay their bills. So as we're at the point now where we're going to start opening up, slowly, every state's different, obviously, every area of the country is going to be different. I thought it'd be great to have some coaches on to talk about how they're going to do it. And let's face it, this is a scary time because we don't know 
what's safe and what isn't right now. You know, this is all, you're experimenting. You're taking chances. We have ideas. This is the way to do it. I mean, I, I, I don't see NFL players this fall wearing masks while they're playing. I know several of the NFL players that I work with, we've talked about it, and they're like, Doc, there's no way. Maybe wearing masks at practice. One guy said, I could see us wearing some masks at practice. Face masks at practice, to be honest with you. One player's told me, he goes, there, and their facility is sort of isolated in the city he plays in. He said he's already talked, because he's a fairly prominent guy on the team, he said, you know, he's talked with the, the, some of the administrators there, and they said, we're probably going to have you guys come in. We're going to test everybody. We're going to take temperatures every day. We're probably going to isolate everyone for 14 days before we do anything to make sure everybody's safe. And then we're going to repeatedly take everybody's temperature, and they'll keep them in that area. So it's going to be interesting to see how this works. Well, youth sports has an incredible challenge ahead of it. You've got facilities opening up. You've got kids coming to practice. You've got parents coming to watch, dropping kids off, picking them up, coaches coming in. How's it going to work? So I thought it would be great today to have some coaches on and talk with them about how they're going to do it. Because let's face it. Everybody wants to know, is my son or daughter going to be okay going back to practice? So I contacted a couple ladies that I've known for years. And they've been kind enough to get up early this morning to join us online. And we're going to bring them on real quickly here before we go to our first break. One is Billy Pinkham, who I've known for years. And I'm going to let Billy tell you a little bit about that here in a moment. She's a gymnastics coach for Kansas Gymnastics and Dance here in Olathe, Kansas. And the other is Marjorie Sherrard, who's a swim coach for the Empire Swim Club in Kansas City. I've known both of them for a long time. They're both wonderful women, tremendous coaches, tremendous people. And I thought it'd be great to have them on. So, ladies, first of all, thank you both for being with me this morning. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having us. Yes. Okay, Billy, real quick, tell everyone how you know me, then Marjorie will let you do it, and then we'll go to our first break here. So, Billy, you start off. Okay. Um, I've known Dr. Jacobs on a personal and professional level since I was 19 years old um, as an athlete and then as a coach. I've worked with him on, in both areas. And tell us about your gym. Um, my gym started in 1989. My parents started it. And then um, 20 years ago, I started coaching and running general operations. Um, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And you've got how many girls in the gym? Um, we have students. We have about a little over 500, but we have 120 on our competitive program. Okay. So obviously a lot's going to be going on there. Yeah. Now, Marjorie, let's start. Let's go to you. Tell us how, sure. how, we, how we've known each other. I've known Andy since um, I was a freshman in college when he was hired by the University of Kansas, where I was swimming to serve as our team sports psychologist. And then I've known him through the years through club coaching. Our children swam together. So I've known him personally and professionally for more years than I'm going to admit to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've been doing this for 39 years, so I'm not going to say any more than that. But <laughs> I, met, I met you right, pretty, pretty, right, uh, pretty soon right yes. after I started. Okay, uh, tell us about Empire. It is a year-round swim club um, operated under the jurisdiction of United States Swimming. And we have been in, in operation, our team reorganized five years ago as Empire KC. So 
Uh, we have about 200 kids on our team right now, anywhere from seven years old all the way up to um, high school kids. We do have our college students come home and some of this as well. So we have kiddos who are at the very entry levels of swimming all the way up to swimmers who are qualifying for Olympic trials. And how many coaches do you have working with you? We have 15 coaches in total. Okay, Billy, Billy, what about you? How many coaches are at the gym? Uh, we have 25 staff members at our club. Okay. So both of you are going to be great to talk with this morning. Obviously, I've talked with you both for years. and know you both and respect you both immensely. But we've got an issue right now where everybody's going to start practicing and doing things. And I know, Marjorie, you'll, you'll share what you've been doing. And, Billy, you're going to share what you're, you're planning to do. Okay. And we're going to go to our first break here in a minute. We're going to come back and talk about this because I'd like you both to share how you're planning to, quote, unquote, open up and how we're going to do that, what's going to be the right way to do it, the safe way to do it, and what's going to be the most productive way to do it so that everybody feels comfortable getting back into this. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. And today we're going to talk about youth sports, starting practice again, competitions again, how you're going to get into it. And, and as I mentioned, joining me on the phone are, are Marjorie Sherrard, who coaches the Empire Swim Club in Kansas City, and Billy Pinkham, coaches Kansas Gymnastics and Dance here in Kansas City. We're going to talk with them about their plans to get their athletes back into the gym, into the pool, do it safely, do it productively, and get these kids to have fun again. Go out there and play again, compete again, practice again, because that's what it's all about. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. If you're still under stay-at-home orders or trying to figure out what to do with your free time, if your lockdown is over, World of Warships could be for you. With World of Warships, you can command a massive naval fleet featuring some of history's most iconic war vessels and unlock new ships as you prepare to dominate the oceans. Each ship is accurate to the original. Each battle makes it seem like you're right there. Each week, there are new missions, game updates, and events to keep you and your friends engaged for hours on end. You can lay over 300 ships across 10 different nations. There are over 30 million players worldwide. It's the perfect game to take your mind off things as we self-isolate to help flatten the coronavirus curve. It's available at worldofwarships.com and Vite code BOOM, which gets players started with two cruisers as well as premium currency. World of Warships, a perfect balance of naval action and strategic gameplay. Worldofwarships.com and Vite code BOOM World of Warships, the thinking man's action game at worldofwarships.com. Invite code BOOM. 
Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And today we're talking about going back to competitions, going back to practice, going back to sports. Joining me on the line are Marjorie Sherrard, who is the head swim coach of the Empire Swim Club here in Kansas City, and Billy Pinkham, who is the gymnastics coach at Kansas Gymnastics and Dance. They've both been kind enough to join us this morning. So let's, let's ladies, let's talk about starting up now. So first of all, and Billy, let's start with you. You've got, you said, 500, 500 girls. Is there, are girls or are there any boys in the gym? Um, we have a few boys, but we do not have a competitive boys team, so mostly girls. Okay, so tell us about the levels of, of competition you've got there. Um, well, we start kiddos as young as two just in classes and things like that, but our team kids are mostly 7 years old to 18 years old. Um, we have all different levels um, of competition from your most basic XL bronze to level 10 athletes that train anywhere from four hours a week to 23 hours a week. Okay, so you've got the wide range there of, of kids coming into practice and competing. Now, um, Marjorie, what about you? Let's, let's, and what's interesting also here is, Billy, you're in Kansas and Marjorie, you're in Missouri, which makes this even more interesting to talk about because <laughs> the states have both different you know, guidelines for opening up as well as different cities and counties. So, Marjorie, what about you? Very similar to Billy. We've got kiddos who are as young as seven years old and are what I would consider entry-level athletes to the sport, all the way up to our swimmers who are very dedicated, very serious, um, and train, you know, nine practices per week plus um, weight training 
and are vying for college scholarships and um, national uh, standards, including Olympic trials. Okay, so let's start with the game plan. Uh, Marjorie, let's, let's go continue with you. So what's the game plan as far as getting back into the pool and practicing for you, being that you're on the Missouri side? Great question. And we are based in Missouri, but we also have operations in Kansas because we had so many families in Kansas who wanted to come with us. And so two years ago, we expanded into um, Johnson County as well. So it has become challenging because we're navigating different state ordinances and different local jurisdictions. And so right now, we are waiting to hear from all the different facilities that we rent from. Most club teams do not own their own pools. So we rent from park and rec districts. We rent from school districts and from cities. And so every situation is a little bit different because every city is following their own requirements. So we are still waiting. We know what we're going to do. The United States something has rolled out um, recommendations about social distancing. The challenge is waiting for the facilities to give us the green light. So what we're planning on doing when we get back is limiting the number of kids that we have in the water at one time. We're lucky in that our, our environment is a chlorinated environment. So it, um, helps with the transmission of uh, COVID-19. So the challenge is we still have to keep the kids away from each other and breathing on each other. So our plan, for instance, if we have six lanes, we have lanes one, three, five, start from the west end, lanes two, four, six, start from the other end, and limit the number of kids in each lane. So our particular challenge is with 200 kids, making sure we can get enough access to water to get all of our kids in. Um, that's going to be, that's gonna be a logistical yeah. issue, isn't it? Oh, my gosh, huge, huge. And so every single club team is in the same boat. And with so many facilities, particularly in the summertime, we've got a lot of cities in Johnson County that have opted to not open their pools for the summer. It's having a real impact, um, not just on club swimming, but on summer swimming and swim lessons. So you're talking about a safety factor. And then I'll be curious to see how that's going to affect swimming longer term because we've got kids who are going to be missing an entire summer of swim. Yeah, I know pool. So I know pools are. Challenge. Yeah, pools are still not open. I, I I always like to swim after my show. I haven't been able to swim for over two months, so I'll probably sink yeah. when I get in the water. But um, whenever that is, I, so you've got a logistical nightmare with all that going on. And then, Billy, what about you? Because you've got all these these young people in the gym at the same time. How are you? When are you planning to open up? What What's the game plan for you? Well, with the new regulations set by the governor, we are now pushed back to June 1 for opening up um, our facility. And I don't have the logistical issues that Marjorie has because we do have our one building. But um, what we've done is we've set a schedule with training the kids less hours, less days um, to bring them back slowly to reduce the risk of injury also and to get them all in for a limited amount of time, smaller groups. Um, so our day is very spread out compared to what it, it was before. And we will bring them in slowly. We have all sorts of procedures in line as far as temperatures, sanitation. Um, we've been testing some of those procedures for that June 1 startup date. So for you specifically then, Billy, with what you've got with a, a gym, with the apparatus and things like that, and, and because school is the schools are not in session, of course we're getting to summer anyway. Um, you can sort of stagger the times and all that when you can get these these young people into the gym. Whereas Marjorie, you're stuck with when you've got the the availability to use the facility. Correct, ladies. Correct. Correct. Okay, so so Billy, for you, okay, 
what what have you heard from parents about their concerns about coming back? Because in as a gymnastics coach, you're coaching kids on apparatus. You've got the bars, you've got the beam, you've got floor, you've got the vault. Are you going to have to clean it every time somebody goes down and does a vault? Are you going to have to go and scrub it off? Or every time somebody gets off the bars or the beam, are you going to have to clean it off? What, what's going to be the way you're going to handle that? Well, what we set in place is, is basically what you said. Um, we have the kids where they will have their own piece of equipment for their duration of their rotation. Um, once they're done with that particular rotation, we have them sanitize the equipment and then they go wash their hands. We sanitize their hands also, and then we move on. It is taken on a different look, um, but we are able to to take care of those things for each athlete. Okay. Now, Marjorie, obviously, diving into a swimming pool, you don't have that same issue, but you've still got to deal with the closeness of these, these swimmers, and I know having been at, you know, hundreds and hundreds of practices myself watching my son and working with these team, you know, working with you and the teams that I've worked with over the years, you know, you've got, I mean, 30, 40 kids in a pool at the same time. So like you said, you're staggering the lanes or having kids going opposite directions. Are you going to spread them out? I mean, how are you going to get them? So they're not, you know, basically touching each other. Cause let's face it, a typical swim practice, you got go do a set and then everybody stops. You got 30 kids at one end of the pool. Right. Well, what we're planning on doing is, first of all, abiding by whatever facility rules are set in place because every facility is approaching this, abiding by whatever rules they have set before them, but also with their own organizations, what they want. But, for instance, we're thinking we'd have maybe 24 kids, assuming we had six lanes um, in a short course, 25-yard pool. We'd have a max of 24 kids on the pool, in the pool at the same time, so two at each end, so we'd have to coordinate they stay in the corners when they're on the wall. So they're, they're more than six feet apart because the lanes are more than six feet wide. And so the other lanes would be at the other end. So they would not come into contact with each other um, when they're at the other end of the pool. And if there were a situation where we, we would run the risk of having multiple kids congregate at the end of the lane, they have to hop out. And so they get out on deck. And so that we'll have 12 kids on one end waiting and 12 kids on the other end if we have to stop and give instructions. So it's going to become an enormous task to coordinate. Because typically what you do in a swim practice is when the kids are finished with a repeat, and you have 24 kids gathered at one end of the pool for right. 30, and you're giving a group instruction. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist, with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. 
Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. My guests today are Billy Pinkham. Gymnastics coach for Kansas Gymnastics and Dance and Atlanta, Kansas, and Marjorie Sherrard, who's the head swim coach for the Empire Swim Club here in the Kansas City area. And we're talking about coming back to practice, coming back to play, coming back to compete. And both ladies have been kind enough to join us this morning. And so we went to our, our commercial break there, and, and I, I brought up I want to talk about fear. Let's face it, we're, every, everybody's got some fear right now. You know, is it safe to come back? Will it be safe? How are we going to handle this? So let's let's start with each of you as as coaches if you don't mind what what are you scared a little bit about this of course all right, all right billy what 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 scares you about it 
Well, I worry, I worry that we're going to do something unsafe and something's going to happen to one of the athletes that, that we work with so closely. Um, the last thing I want is for them to get sick or injured. Um, and so you have to, to weigh the pros and cons and the, and all the steps you're taking to keep them safe. So sure, I worry that that I'm going to make a mistake for sure. And uh, you know, when you've got all these young people coming back into the gym, I'm sure they're all going to be super excited to get back in mm-hmm. there, and a little bit hyper. I'm guessing at first, right? Correct. Okay. Absolutely. So that's going to be something you're going to have to control because with the social distancing issues and all that, it's going to be even more of a challenge. So. You both know, I always say, coaches wear a number of hats. You're a psychologist, you're a disciplinarian, you're an instructor, you're a guide, you're a teacher, you're a friend. Okay, so you're, it's going to be even, even be more exaggerated for you, Billy, in that situation, right, because of all the different things you've got to do because of all the, all the components of being a gymnastics coach. Yes, that is very true. And I think when the girls come in, they're going to be excited to see their friends, they're going to it's going to be very easy for them to get back to what their normal was in the gym, which is not six feet apart from each other. And they're hugging each other, high-fiving, all that type of stuff. So you've got to, right, well, I'm going to get to all that in a minute. Okay, Marjorie, what about you? What are, what are the fears you've got as a swim co- head swim coach? Or just as, well, just, just as a person, but also as a head swim coach. Same as Billy was mentioning, it's just making sure that we're balancing the needs of our athletes because they're dying to get back in the water. They're just, they're missing it and they are struggling because it's an environment that brings in such a sense of well-being you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, and so they've been absent from it for two months. So balancing that with the safety. Um, I'm personally not as nervous for my own safety because the athletes are in the water, so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a regular practice. I'm always more than six feet away from them when I'm coaching on deck there in the water. So the challenge is just making sure we manage that environment. Um, and you're right. When they come in, they're going to want to give us a hug, and we're going to want to hug them, and we won't be able to do that. So, And that's going to um, be hard, isn't it? Because I know you're you're both very personal personable people you're both very caring people i've known you both for years that's your personality so when you see somebody you haven't seen for two months and they see you and they, and they i can i can envision some of these girls coming into the gym especially with you billy and they're going to start crying when they see you and you'll probably start crying too knowing you yes yes i probably will there's no question so how are you going to resent resist not giving them a hug especially you know there's one young lady that you know, comes and works with me, and she likes to give hugs when she walks in the, into the office and leaves. So she's going to want to do the same with you. I know. Um, that is going to be a challenge, and especially, you know, the younger they get, the more the more hugs you get. And, and I agree. I'm going to cry. Um, it is going to be difficult. I'm not sure how I will handle in that moment. Um, hopefully an air high five will suffice for a while. Okay, and, and, and Marjorie, I'm sure it's, it's a similar type of thing with you, maybe not quite as much with, with swimmers as with gymnasts, but still you're going to have to do that distancing thing. So let me, let me ask yes. you both. You both know one of the big things I talk about all the time on this show especially is the importance of communication with parents. So how are you both communicating with the parents of these kids who are going to come back to practice about how you're going to do it? Are you going to have a parent meeting and a, a, a virtual meeting are you sending out you know emails or information with guidelines i mean what are you telling them because i also know with both of you parents like to watch practice a lot of time maybe more so with with gymnastics and swimming but at the same time i i know a lot of parents sit at the pool and wait right marjorie 
Yes, they do. So what are you doing, Mark? Let's start with you. What are you doing about con- you know, communicating with parents? About sure. Well, what we, we have regular newsletters that go out, so we are waiting to hear from our facilities. Again, we know what we're going to do, but we're still waiting for the particulars from the different facilities that we rent. Um, because some of them aren't opening until July. So that's our particular challenge right now. We're just trying to make sure we have everything rolling. But we've made it clear. We're very um, clear with our parents if they're not comfortable. For instance, if there's a snow day and we're able to secure pool time, we always tell our families, you know, don't feel obligated just because we're offering practice to come to practice. If you don't feel it's safe to traverse the roads, then don't. Same thing here. So even if we start back to practices and families aren't comfortable, we're going to save their spot. We're going to wait for them to be comfortable. And there are small changes we can make. For instance, a lot of our kids will come to practice and they go into the locker room to change. Well, we won't be doing that anymore. They will come to the pool ready to go and they will not change once they're done. They will bring their water bottles filled so we eliminate, you know, as much as we can the use of the water stations. Um, so so, so let, me, let me ask you, so, so in other words, when practice is over, they can't go in and put their dry clothes on, they have to dry, go home in their wetsuits? Correct. Okay. And that will be a transition, not so much for our little ones, but certainly for our junior high and high school students. So they're going to have some logistical things with, with you know, driving, having towels in the car, all that type of stuff. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I know how that is. Okay, so, Billy, are you going to have, are you sending out emails? Are you going to have a virtual meeting for parents? What, what are you going to do to communicate with them about everything? Uh, right now, they're probably getting tired of emails uh, from <laughs> me, but we've been sending, I've been sending emails with every single update, outlining our procedures, going through my thought process on this and guiding them or helping them understand that we really are trying to do what is best for their kids, both physically and emotionally. So my main form of communication has been email, and all my parents have my cell phone number, so if they want to contact me personally, I have no issue with that either. Um, So both email, social media, and phone calls. Have you oh, both been hearing from parents about some concerns they've got about coming back to practice? Yes. And so we're there, again, waiting to hear from us what our final plan is. And so we're encouraging them to um, keep their kids at home if they're not comfortable. We want to defer to parents' judgment about whether or not they feel comfortable. I mean, and our challenge is our kids are pretty dedicated, and they're going to want to come. So they're going to want to push their parents to say, take me, take me, take me. But we're going to really remind the swimmers that their parents are the ones who need to decide whether it's safe to come back to the water. What, if you don't mind, whatever we do. If you don't mind, Marjorie, like what's been a concern you've heard from, from a parent? Oh, just transmission, the possibility of transmission, because, um, you know, we, we, our parents are used to seeing five or six kids in a lane congregated at the end of the pool. So we need to make sure they understand that will not be the way anymore and paint that picture for them. Um, the kids do give high fives. We finish every single practice with a team cheer where they're literally putting their hands in a circle. Well, we'll be doing a team cheer, but not in that format. <laughs> so um, the kids almost always give me a hug as they're walking in the door. I won't be able to do that. So just making sure the parents have a visual of what we're going to be doing differently so they feel comfortable and then making sure they understand we are going to have fewer kids per practice so that it's it's not business as usual. It will have to be different. Let's face it, ladies. You're both going to have, I would assume, uh, some some people who are going to say, I want to come. I don't care. I, I'm going to be there. No one can stop me from being there. Then you're going to have some people who are going to be reluctant. So you've got to be, you both have to be good psychologists here. You both have to figure out how you're going to handle this. When we come back from our next next break here, I want to talk about the, you know, basically 
the game plan on how you're going to deal with with the safety issues here and then how we're going to make it fun again okay because sports needs to be fun these these young people want to have fun they want to get better they want to improve this is the sports psychology hour I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. You know, I, I miss sports tremendously. As a sports psychologist, obviously that's part of what I do, but I, I just miss it. I was telling my son, my son's been staying home with me. He came back from New York the 1st of March. He's been here for what we're, we're going on almost two and a half months, which is great to have him around and his dog. 
Um, so so my, my uh, greyhound now has a friend, has a pug to play with. Um, but he wants to go back. He wants to go back to New York. And I'm like, well, you're not going back till, till it's, it's safe. And that's one thing I know everybody is concerned about is safety. And he says, Dad, I just want to go back and have fun again. So joining me today, Billy Pinkham and Marjorie Sherrard, coaches, gymnastics, and swim teams here in Kansas City. How are we going to make it fun again, ladies? How are we going to make it fun? Because everybody's got this apprehension, this fear about going back. You've shared what you're planning to do, and you both have great plans. And, and you know, you both get it. That's why I wanted to have you on the show today. You're, you're wonderful coaches. You're wonderful people. Parents, spouses, and, and just good, good people, which is why I wanted to have you on. But how are we going to make it fun again? Marjorie, how are we going to make swimming fun again? Well, I will tell you, we took a, an approach when we were not allowed to go back to the water that we were going to continue practicing just in a different format. So we've been doing daily online Zoom workouts. And so I spend about four hours per day supervising kids in a workout situation. So even though they're not together physically, they get to see each other every single day. And it's done a great, it's really helped us. And we feel like it helps us keep our athletes together. They get to see each other and chat with each other and catch up. So they're working out together virtually. And then every single week we try and uh, surprise the kids. Like a couple weeks ago um, with the little ones, during the online practice, we worked out for a half an hour. Then we did a scavenger hunt. <laughs> so they had to run, find something in their house, come back and show it to me, and then do you know five sit-ups or whatever. So we try and play with them during this time because we have to. We have to make it fun or they're not going to want to hop on the workouts. And we have noticed that our attendance has actually increased because for a lot of the kids, this is their opportunity to socialize during the day because they're home doing school and their parents are working from home. So we've taken that attitude during this hiatus. And then our national governing body, United States Swimming, has really been consistent with its messaging that once people do go back to the water, this summer season, the competition has largely been scrapped across the country. And so the message is we're going to just celebrate the return to swimming. And so in June, when we get back in, um, it's going to be an, a wonderful opportunity to work on technique and not worry about getting back to training per se, but the kids have been out of the water for two months. So it's a great chance to get back in carefully, slowly, and build slowly. somewhat similar to what we would do at the beginning of the season, but even more cautiously because they've been out for a more prolonged period. Well, Marjorie, so, you, you, you and I have known each other since the early 80s, like you said, when, when I was the University of Kansas, first University of Kansas sports psychologist and worked with you at the swim team course. We both got to experience uh, one of the greatest swimmers in Kansas history, Tammy Thomas, break American records at the NCAA championships in 1983. And I remember the smile on her face when she got out of the water, when she won the 50 free uh, final and broke the American record. And just, you know, it, it, it's that, that experience of accomplishing your own personal goal. And so with swimming, especially, and, and you know this from, from all the years we've known each other, my definition of winning, and Billy will get to you in a minute with gymnastics, but with swimming, it's going out and doing your best. It's not necessarily beating the person next to you, but it's beating your Correct. time, improving, getting better. And that's what that's what makes it fun, right? Yes. Yes. And that's the great thing about swimming is it um, doesn't matter how fast or how slow you are, you can always compare yourself to yourself. And the stopwatch doesn't lie. Um, so you can see, well, well, even if I got 50th place, I dropped two seconds. And so there's celebration in that, and which is so nice. Well, we can accommodate so many different levels of swimming. Because no matter how fast or how slow you are, there's a place. And that's so, what winning really is about in swimming, right? It's about accomplishing your goals and getting better. And, and that's, I think, what you're going to try to focus on with these kids, especially because the competitions really aren't going to be happening. So you're going to make competitions with themselves, right? 
correct. We're talking about the United States Swimming um, is recommending, uh, first of all, they've banned all competitions to the end of June. And so uh, we won't even be allowed to compete as far as times counting until July. So we're talking about different ways we can race and practice because that is a skill. The kids do like to race. So we can do it in practice when it's appropriate. We can have different competitions with other teams virtually. I mean, we're talking about doing that for maybe even our championship meets. Every team does their own thing, and then we just spend the times in and compare it to those. So we're having to be really creative as a swimming community and how we're going to not only physically take care of these kids, but how we're going to meet that desire for them to compete. Okay, Billy. Gymnastics is different than swimming, obviously, in a variety of ways. First of all, swimming is a very black-and-white sport. You either swim a time or you don't. That's the time you, you, you got when you touch the wall. In gymnastics, the score you get is based on somebody's opinion. It's a subjective sport like diving and figure skating. So how are you going to make this fun again for these girls getting back into the gym? Like you said, you've got you said over 500 kids coming back at different times, staggering this around. And having worked with so many of the young, young girls that you, you have in the gym, I know the enthusiasm level is going to be so high. It's going to be fun, but you've got you've got to temper that. You've got to make it work right. And, and of course, gymnastics is. Let's face it, gymnastics is a very difficult sport. Your body is getting into positions oftentimes it's not supposed to be in. Right. So, how are you going yeah. to make it fun? How are you going to make it fun for them? Well, much like Marjorie, we're doing the virtual conditioning so that we, the girls, get the interaction, and we honestly get the interaction too because, you know, I. I miss them terribly myself, so that is something I miss on a daily basis. But I think the biggest fear that my kids have is that they've lost skills, they're not going to be able to do what they did before, Um, and for many of them, that's very likely. They're going to have to come back slow. We're going to have to be careful that we don't just jump right into the skills they were doing before. So I think um, our season was cut short. We were two weeks before our state competition when everything shut down. So we have now moved on to the off-season training. Um, right, so and if, I, if, I can inter- if I can interject, because in gymnastics, the spring, March, April, and May are when the big championships are, whereas with swimming, you get into the long course summer season and you've got them going through through the end of July so and into August. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, so for Billy, so for your girls – they were trained. They've been training all year, and just right when the I know because I work with several of these girls, the competition's about to start, and everything's canceled. Obviously, there, there's a lot of that frustration. So for you, it's like now it's going to be just focusing on skill development and working on on each of their individual uh, performances, right? Yes, we're we're going to focus on basics, getting them comfortable being upside down again, um, so that they don't worry about if they've lost something or if something's not as good as it was before. It's okay. It's not a big deal. We can get it. So one of the things, and you both know me pretty well, one of the things I always encourage everybody is to talk, okay? I'm a psychologist. you got to talk, and you have to listen. One of the things I think is probably important, and I'm sure you're both going to do this, is I would say with every young person that you're, you're going to be training, whether it's in the pool or in the gym, that you probably spend a little time with them personally, maybe with their parents, ask them how they're doing, how they're feeling, if they're scared of anything, what their goals are when they come back. And I think by doing that, that's going to open the door to really understanding them a little bit better. That's that's wearing your psychologist hat, right? Marjorie, let's start with you. Yes. Um, and we, you're right when you were talking earlier about parents coming to watch. That will be a change because one of the things that we're saying is we're going to limit the number of kids or people in a facility. Well, that has to include parents. So parents who do like to watch. Or who, and in this situation, they're going to want to watch. 
to make sure that those social distancing measures are followed. And we're going to have to say you can't, you know, because we're just we're going to have limitations on how many people we can have in the facility. So we're going to have to make sure we are very clear with our families what we're going to do. And the good news is um, we have a really strong team culture, and I'd like to say that our, our families trust us um, to keep their kids safe and do the right thing. I don't think that we would have kept as many families during this time if we didn't already have that basis of trust established. So that will be an enormous part of it and having those conversations before we go back to the pool environment and letting those families know if they're not comfortable sending their kids to practice, that's fine. We'll keep their spot in the team. We will wait for them to feel more comfortable. And they will not be punished. They will not be punished. Oh, absolutely not. Right, and making sure they understand. Okay, Billy, what what about you real quick here before we finish up? Same things, and and I've already started working with my kids on their goals and trying to make them realistic for when they come back and, and what they have set for next season so that we can work together and achieve those things. All right, ladies, I want, I want to thank you both. This has been a tremendous show, um, maybe one of the best shows I've, I've had in a long time. Um, the information you have both shared it, it, it is tremendous because I think people can learn from this. So one of the things I'm, I would like to encourage you both to do is when, the, when we get the show up on our, on our podcast page, I'm going to send it to you. You might send it out to all your parents to listen to because I think they can gain some things. So let, let's start with you, Billy. If people want to get a hold of you, they want to – Talk to you about getting their, their child into gymnastics. How can they reach you? Tell us about the, 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 where to reach you through the gym. Um, you can reach me on the website is kzbcgymandcheer.com, or they can give me a call at 764-8282. I'll be happy to talk to them. And that's 913 area code. Oh, yes. Sorry about that. Okay. Marjorie, what about you? Sure. Same thing. Our team website is www.ekclions.com. Dot com. You can also just do a Google search for Empire KC, and I can be reached at 913-207-8116. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your stories today. Best of luck. You know where I'm at, how to get a hold of me, ever need me. And thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the show today. This has been great. I think anybody can learn from this. Thanks, ladies. Well, thank, thank you for you. having us. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. You can always reach me at 816-561-5556. My website's winnersunlimited.com. Our shows are podcasted on my website here at Sports Radio 810 WHB on SoundCloud. If you're a parent, have your kids listen to it. You listen to it. It's going to help you out. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your
Warrior basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station.